What's the worst day you ever had in your business? I can name a few. I was a five-time award-winning entrepreneur who burned out because I couldn't give up control of anything in my business, whether it was because I thought I could do it faster or because I thought I couldn't afford it. I just refused to let anybody else in. Consequently, the business turned from a dream goal into a job I hated and I didn't know what to do anymore. In 2015, I closed my business, walked away, and started a whole new life. But I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up after that. And I realized that what I really love to do is marketing. I love to talk about marketing and create marketing and teach other people how to create value-based marketing initiatives that talk to their customers. I've done it for corporations, for entrepreneurs like you, bloggers, and everybody in between. I'm here to help you create your dream empire that gives you the freedom to create your life the way you want to do it. My name is Megan Brain. This is Stop Sucking at Business. Let's go. Hey guys, Megan here. Welcome to the show. Super glad you're here with me today because this guest whom I brought on is, wow, she, she to me personifies like the real entrepreneur, if you know what I mean. Like this is with Rebecca Bennett, who like, I don't even know where to start her. She's so fascinating. She started in the corporate world, decided that wasn't for her, decided to go for her MBA, go six figures into debt to get this and build a business as well as do consulting all at the same time. Like, what did you do today? I didn't do half of that stuff. So she is incredibly inspiring. And I love all of the tips that she gives in this about just understanding how to utilize money as a tool, learning to love it and building a business all while having so many outside factors happen. She's so inspiring. And I hope you love this interview as much as I love doing it. Here's my interview with Rebecca Bennett. Hey, everybody, Megan here with Rebecca Bennett. Thank you so much for joining me. This is super exciting. Thanks for having me, Megan. Yeah. So, you know, this is my money month. This is the one where we're really getting hardcore into money. So I am so thrilled to talk to you about your story because I think that it's going to resonate with a ton of people. But um, rather than me spoiling it, would you mind telling us your background and your money story? Yeah, of course, of course. So basically, I graduated college like any other person, and I jumped straight into a career. It was actually in corporate entertainment. And I, I mean, at some point, when you first graduate from college, you're like, yeah, I have this confidence, I have all this knowledge to go into the world and use it, and everything's great, and you're just rising the ranks in in uh, your career. But then at some point, and I feel like this happens to most everyone, at some point in your career, you start to feel a little stuck. You really can only get so far uh, in specific industries more so, but you can really only get so far with a bachelor's degree. And I started to feel like I had more potential than I was being provided opportunity in my job. And so I just started to learn on my own and explore ways to just become um, a better, a better manager and a, and a better leader at work. And so one day I had this coworker, she was new to the company and she was working on her MBA. 
And I was like, oh, cool, an MBA. What's that like? That sounds like a lot of hard work. <laughs> and she was just so excited when she talked about it. And then she would show me how she was applying it at her job. And I was like, oh my God, this is like life-changing. This is going to change the company. It's super advanced stuff. We're not even doing anything close to this. And then I started to wonder like, why is it that no one else in our group or team has an MBA? This girl is shining. She's bringing so many interesting ideas and concepts to the table. And yet she wasn't being rewarded for it at our work. She wasn't getting promoted. Um, so that was, I think that had more to do with like, being in a workplace where it's hard to get promoted and a lot of people feel stuck. And that's kind of where I felt myself where I was at. Um, you come to this point where you feel stuck either in your job or your career and you need to find like an exit plan and but a way to move forward at the same time. You can't just hop off the train without a new train to hop onto. <laughs> and so just seeing the way that she she really expanded my mind the way that she was thinking. And I really felt that, and she was so like happy when she would talk about it. I'm like, okay, me, I need a dose of this. I need a dose of smartness, a dose of happiness. I need to get out of this rut that I'm in. So it actually, the whole process of deciding if I'm gonna apply for an MBA to actually getting into a program literally took a year it was and I had no idea of what how long this timeline would be but just getting to the point where you're deciding like I want to actually go for this I mean it's it's a big investment so you have to really be sure this is what you want and that it's going to benefit you um so actually deciding like I want to do this to going through the entire application process, picking out the schools, like learning and talking about yourself and your essay, telling them why you want to go and figuring out that why was an incredibly long process, but it was also at the same time, super cathartic and therapeutic because when you feel stuck and you go through this process of trying to figure out, okay, where's my next step? They really only accept people who have like somewhat of a direction. They know exactly why they want to get into the school. Then figuring that, helping me to figure that out kind of naturally led me forward to the next step with or without an MBA. I already had a clear picture of where I wanted to go and how I was going to get there. Um, and so that's, that's how I ended up getting into um, the MBA program at University of Southern California. And uh, it was, it was quite a ride and an experiment experience, which I'm happy to dig into further later, but kind of that's how, that's how I got into getting uh, to where I am with an MBA today. And so your entrepreneurial ventures, did they start during your MBA or do you think that in, you were in the corporate world, you're just like, this, this sucks. I have to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my entrepreneurial adventures kind of grew out of feeling that stuck moment in, in my corporate career. Um, and so I was kind of taking two paths at the same time. I actually started, uh, I started a side business while I was working. This is previously before thoughts of an MBA even occurred. And this was kind of like my way out um, is if I could just grow this big enough to the point to replace my salary or close enough, then, then this will give me more freedom to explore what I want to do, give me financial independence. 
Um, and so, yeah, that's how it all started. And obviously, as many of us know, starting a business is, it takes, they say the average is two to three years before you break even. Um, so luckily, I was able to, to break even in that first year. But where I had problems with my first business was scaling, scaling mm -hmm. it up to a certain level that's beyond yourself because you can only give so much in a day and 24 hours of just your time. Um, and so scaling it to start to include other people was really difficult for me, especially when it's a lifestyle business, which I figured out it was, that really relies on you and your brand. And so that was like my first mistake. I wouldn't say it was a mistake, but it was, it was, uh, I think a stepping stone that everyone kind of needs to go through figuring mm -hmm. out how you can maximize your skills and talents, which incorporates your self brand, but mainly you can't scale that necessarily, or it's hard to with other people. So that's what kind of led me to realize, well, this business is not going to scale. I, I could quit my job and I actually did um, before I started the MBA program, but the MBA program just gave me a little bit more of a push to help me figure out how can I actually scale this baby. <laughs> and I think that that is absolutely brilliant in the one, the, um, you had no fear. I mean, I'm sure you did have fears, but you still like you're, your faith was greater than your fear. And so you decided yeah. like, uh, this is the life that I want to have. And, you know, it doesn't involve this corporate setting. It also is going to involve this mountain of debt and MBA, but this is like, this is my journey and this is my path. So when you're going into your MBA program and this, you're, this, you're an entrepreneur then, right? Officially. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do you keep your mindset from, <laughs> from self-imploding of like, okay, I see these loans are going to start coming and this is all on me now. This is not like me and my employer with like tuition reimbursement or any kind of perks. Like this is all on me and this is all coming up. So how do you keep your mindset in a, an abundance mindset, I guess. And how do you, how do you get yourself to sleep at night? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. I, so I think, um, I mean, this is just from my experience with talking with other entrepreneurs, but I get the sense that to have that entrepreneurial mindset, which is something that can be cultivated, it's not necessarily something that you're born with. Um, I mean, it could be, but <laughs> to have that mindset automatically includes looking at the world as the glass half full always finding that silver lining. Entrepreneurs are notorious for looking for those opportunities and latching on to that because what else can they do? You know, that's what, a, that's really what an entrepreneur is. They find those opportunities and they go after them, no matter the challenges or the obstacles in the way. Um, and so, yeah, I knew that getting into this program, especially this, this one from this specific university was going to cost me a fortune. Um, so I, I knew that going in, it, it was going to be a lot. And, and yeah, it was overwhelming and hard to think about, well, how am I going to afford this? Um, and it was really a matter of a couple of things. Um, it was, it was planning in advance. Um, 
meaning planning like what do I have now looking at my assets now um, and then what do predicting or forecasting what money I will be bringing in during the program and then predicting the amount of money I will be bringing in after the program. So you kind of break it up into the three phases. Uh, so the first one, when I was first looking at my assets, um, I didn't have much. <laughs> Let's just say that. And, and uh, I, I don't know if this is, this is true or not. We have to look into it. But I think I had explored like the retirement account option, the 401k, and you're only allowed to take out like 10 grand or something. Like the hardship um, and, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's limiting. That's going to pay maybe not even one semester. <laughs> so I was like, okay, next. <laughs> um, looking at my savings account, I was, okay, I have a little cushion. That'll work. But what was scary is I was looking at my assets and I was like, this is not going to get me through it. So what are my other options? So as an entrepreneur that I am, I'm looking out and exploring for those opportunities. Um, so I was talking, actually, what I did is I brought in support from my family, from my mom specifically. She had gotten an MBA. So I asked her, well, how did you do it? <laughs> Which is always a great approach, asking the others before you the path that they took. And so she's like, she told me, well, have you thought about school loans? And I was like, oh, I've never taken out a school loan in my life. That sounds super scary. Will they even give me the amount of money that I need? <laughs> my concern was they wouldn't give me enough to get through it. And then you'd have to kind of stop halfway or take one class at a time. And then next thing you know, <laughs> you're in a program for 10 years. Um, so, but, so what I did is I ended up applying, I had a two, two prong approach. I... I ended up applying for school loans and yes, they do give you enough to finish the program on time with the rest of your peers. So that's the good news. And it's a fairly easy process. It's just a matter of filling out the FOSFA form um, online. And then I think they give you about in 20 grand increments or up to 25 for graduate level um, per semester, which for most schools, I would think that's enough. <laughs> um, but then my second approach was, so remember, I was planning to enter this program a year in advance. Mm -hmm. And this was really key because I needed that full year to boost my credit score in order to apply for credit. Because the second part of my approach was to use credit cards. And so at first, you, your listeners are probably like, oh my God, don't do that. Like, oh, the interest rates. <laughs> that sounds scary. Mm -hmm. And it's really not. There's a way to use credit cards to your advantage if, if you know how to do it right. Hey guys, Megan here. Just a reminder, I have regular Q&A episodes coming out. So if you want your questions answered, head to meganbrame.com slash ask a question, all one word, and you'll be able to get your question posted. And if I feature it, you will get a copy, a free copy of my book, Day One, A Practical Guide to Launching Your Business. So again, head to meganbrame.com slash ask a question. And if your question gets featured, I'm sending you a free copy of my book as a thank you. Um, so what I did that entire year is I was just paying off bills right and left um, consistently, always paying that minimum payment, paying more where I could and applying for, yeah, a lot of credit cards. So that way I could boost my credit. The idea is you want to have show that you have a lot of credit. So credit cards are willing to lend you more money because if 
credit card one lends you 30,000, then credit card two is like, oh, she has 30,000 on her credit part, credit report here and it's not even used. Okay, let's lend her another 30,000. Oh my so God, I, I, did, up- I did credit card churning for a long time and I have like 120,000 in credit available to be here. So like, I'm, I'm always terrified of that because uh-huh. I, I guess it's good to know that I could almost buy a house somewhere if I really needed to, but it, yeah. yeah. It's nice to know at least you have it. Don't necessarily use it, but <laughs> at least have it. Because this was this was also part of my backup plan too. You always want to, with a big investment like an MBA, you always want to have a backup plan, which I can go into, into next or later. But so with this, I ended up building about exactly a hundred, just over a hundred thousand. I think we got 120,000 worth of credit just sitting there, ready to tap into for whatever reason I couldn't pay with the school loans or whatnot. But so the key to, to revolving this, this credit uh, monster to your advantage is to get credit cards that offer 0%. Uh, they have various timelines between 12 months to up to 24 months is pretty rare, but 18 is like about average. And so essentially for let's say 18 months, you don't have to pay a cent. Um, you have to maybe pay like a minimum payment, if, but it's, it would be so low, anyone can do it. And so what I did is every semester, I would swipe that credit card and I would put it on the credit card and I wouldn't have to pay any money on it. Now, this works out better than your school loan. Why? Because the federal school loan is between six to 7% typically on in interest. And I think And that accumulates at a pretty fast rate. So the next thing I know, when I was looking at my school loans, I saw the interest rate was like over $3,000 in just one semester that they charged me. And I was like, what? (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) And, but if you have this sitting on the 0% credit card, it's 0% for 18 months. Now, I know the questions everyone asking is what happens when that 0% term expires, then you're going to have like a 20% interest rate. True. But the trick is to create a planner of all your credit cards with 0%. Know exactly when that expiration date is. And then about, so two things, if you're still, if you still need to add more credit cards on um, to your credit package that you're building your portfolio, I would say apply for a new one about a month in advance. Mm-hmm. No, really no later than that. Um, and then the second, the second thing is about a week before it expires, you want to do a zero, you want to do a balance transfer over to that new credit card with that 0%. Now, I know your, your listeners are saying, well, but there's going to be a balance transfer fee. Yes, there is, but it's only usually 3%, right, which right. beats... Right, 3% over a term of about 12 to 18 months. Now, the interest rate on a credit card, I mean, sorry, the interest rate on the federal student loans is 6 to 7% per 12 months, not 18 months, per 12 months. So already that's, we already know we're getting charged more on the federal loans than the actual credit cards. So essentially what you wanna do is just keep revolving this transferring the loan money as soon as it expires from one zero percent credit card to another one to another one now why is this pretty genius it gives you financial a little bit more financial flexibility to pay it down when you want to um you're only paying that three percent balance transfer fee which it honestly for a twenty thousand 
20,000 loan, it was like, it was less than a thousand dollars. Um, each time I did it pretty, pretty uh, like, I think it was like maybe 500, $600 each time for just one payment for the year. And that's it. That's um, and so essentially you, you can pay it down as quickly or however, not as quickly as you want, but it gives you a little bit more flexibility. And so this is how I've been paying for my school loans. Now let's look at COVID, the COVID economy. Look what's happening now. If you had applied to student loans, you're still stuck at that six to 7% rate. Although temporarily they paused that to 0%, but that's going to go back up again um, sooner or later. Now with the 0% credit cards, they're now giving forgiveness. Um, forgiveness on late fees, they're keeping, they're extending your 0%. Um, and there's, I feel like there's a lot more benefits with credit cards. Um, and so this has been allowed me to, to pay off the credit cards in a more financially feasible way. And so this is, this is what I'm talking about. I was talking about the three parts, the planning in advance, um, building that credit. Now I'm in the moment, I'm actually paying it. But the third part, which we didn't talk about yet, is what am I gonna be making after I graduate? That's a very important number too, because you're gonna need that money to pay down your school loans. So if you look at the research of a MBA program, um, I'm trying to, hold on, let me look, let me look it up real quick, because I have it right here. It's such an interesting number. So. When the research is when you graduate from uh, an MBA program, your income is expected to increase on average. And this was a, a study, a survey taken across, across all the universities in, in the United States, and on average about 30% increase. 30%, that's huge. And so going into this program, you have to have faith that you're going to reach that um, because I think a lot of it is if you don't believe in it, I don't think you'll ever get to it. It's like you have to believe in you can because if you keep telling yourself you can't, I can't, I don't think I can, then you won't. <laughs> right. the, the scarcity mindset of just like it won't be enough or I, I won't get it for some reason or what have you. Mm -hmm. And then you're just setting yourself up for failure. Exactly. Exactly. So you have to believe that you can. And how do you, how did I, it wasn't just faith. I didn't have just faith in this, like, this is going to happen. I like, I'm an entrepreneur, so I don't just let things just up by chance. I actually have to like increase my probability, my likelihood. And so the way I made sure that that 30% increase happened and it did was it's all about the university program that you pick. You want to pick a program that one has a really strong career center. Um, University of Southern California is a great example of one. If you're looking at universities and you want to understand, well, is this good or is this not good? How do I know? You can mm -hmm. compare it to that university. They have a very strong program. Um, and then the second thing is at this specific university, I joined the consulting club. And you think, oh, student club, like that's extracurriculars. It's extra stuff. It's not going to like get you your 30%. Actually, it was a consulting club that got me my job. <laughs> so what happened is they have this program through the consulting club. They prep you to become a consultant. Um, so I didn't mention this before, but this was my plan B. Like if things don't work out, which, which 
they, to an extent they did, but uh, my plan B ended up happening sooner than later. The opportunity was presented. So I'm not going to say no to it. So what happened is they put me through this program to train how to become a consultant. And they had this very procured, a curated process of how to go about applying for jobs and they brought all the employers in to help um, and just facilitated everything for us. I All I literally had to do was dress up in a suit and print a resume and I was ready to go. That's all I had to do. And show up, yeah. Show up. And, yeah. and I ended up getting a job out of that that definitely was over that 30% income boost. So, so when planning for paying for such a huge investment of an MBA, which in my case, it ended up being like almost 150 grand. I took extra classes. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, it's really about pre-planning, like planning in advance, um, being able to manage your finances during the program, making sure those credit cards don't expire, and then having faith, increasing your probability that you're going to get that 30% uh, income boost. That's so fascinating. And I'm glad that you're talking about credit cards because I hate the stigma that, oh, if I apply to some, it's going to turn my credit score down. Or if I'm going to, you know, like it just, these old ways of thinking about credit as this, you put it, you put it in a drawer and you save it for emergencies and you don't use it, but like uh-huh. you treat it so sacredly. But it, if you can use credit as a tool, then there's no real hit. I've, I haven't noticed a hit to my credit score because of, you know, churning for, uh, we used credit cards for the points and, you know, all the membership rewards things to get a first class trip to Japan. So wow. that was like, I had like, you know, the beautiful mind string theory going around trying to figure out all of the different credit cards and points I needed. Uh-huh. But I was afraid in the beginning of just the like, Oh my God, if I keep applying to all of these credit cards, that's going to mess my credit report up or my score. And it was completely the opposite because like you said, my, my score kept going up because I kept getting more credit. Mm-hmm. So I love that you're talking about that, but I want to talk about building your business in, in congruence with this MBA, you know, even focusing solely on the MBA. You're, I know you have these entrepreneurial tinkerings going on in the back of your head uh-huh. and then you also, in addition, like you said, the, this consulting, which was kind of a plan B, but came, became a hybrid plan A. Mm-hmm. How, how are you managing all of this? Not, not just financially, but just sanity wise. Like, how are you, uh-huh. like, well, what kind of support system are you setting up to do this and to grow your business in congruence with the MBA? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Real quick, just to mention, just you mentioned you were using uh, accumulating miles. That's actually another great reason to use credit cards is because I chose one specifically where I would get miles mm-hmm. for my tuition. <laughs> so if you can imagine, I racked up so many miles or, or credit for, for plane tickets that I was able to fully pay. And so in 
I think in most programs in USC, there's called a GLOW program where you travel to abroad oh. uh, for a week. And so I traveled to Tokyo and I ended up making a little trip of it. It was like our Asia trip. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was able to pay for all of my plane tickets who went to seven countries and my families, my husband and my sons, all of their plane tickets with those free miles. Um, and so it was the experience of a lifetime we'll never forget. And uh, so, and just another reason why it, with Sprattle student loans, sorry, there's no perks there. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the, that trip was priceless. But in terms of how I'm managing, um, I guess your question is how am I managing running a business while getting ready to start my, my new job in consulting? Right, yeah. Gotcha, yeah. So that's something that, I mean, my job will be starting in a month. But it's, it's nothing that I'm not familiar with already. I've already did a, like I said before, when I was working my career, I had my side job already. And now it's kind of like the reverse. I have my business and now it's like, well, but I can't necessarily make this job my side job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're going to need me full time, <laughs> if not more. <laughs> but yeah, no, it'll be an interesting experiment to figure out how to, how to balance those two. Um, but what I can say is as an entrepreneur, many, many entrepreneurs out there probably feel the same is you have so many ideas rumbling around in your head and you want to do every single one. And it's really about prioritizing and picking the select few that are going to make the difference. Um, and so in this case, when it comes to managing two things, two very big things that are going to be your livelihood, it's really going to comes down to prioritization. What is, and so I, I usually, I have a plan of how I manage my life and my work. And so what I do is one, you create that vision, that overarching vision. What is it that you want? What are, what are your values? What is it you want in life? And for me, it's, you know, ultimate happiness, um, try to start, I start to be happy on a daily basis. Uh, obviously you want to keep my health, uh, that's very important to me. So want to work out and all that. Um, and so from there, then I whittle it down to like the big dreams that I have that would go underneath that umbrella. Um, and so for me, that would be to be able to grow a business, provide other people employment. That's a huge driver for me and to make an impact in the world, to leave a legacy, um, and so my current business I'm working on now is a AI consulting and solutions firm. We're pioneering new technology in the conversational uh, AI area. And so that's super exciting to be driving technology forward to be a part of a solution in this world rather than a problem. <laughs> um, and so making sure just everything fits into your mission and your values. And then from there, trying to decide what am I going to delegate out to your team members is going to be huge. Um, and in this case, it's going to have to be a lot. And also building that trust before you delegate is, is a step that a lot of people miss. If you don't build that trust first with your team members, then it, it's hard to delegate out. And then you end up micromanaging, which you don't want that to happen. Nobody likes that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's talk more yeah. about delegating and about um, how you were managing that. I, you know, you're building this business, which sounds incredibly fascinating. Like that's, that's big brain thinking. That's, that's, <laughs> that's crazy interesting. And 
clearly you're aware that you have to bring people on to help you do this, especially if you're going to take this consulting role as well, but you still want to grow this baby of yours. So how are you thinking about finding people to delegate that are going to be, that are going to grow the business that you can sort of, you know, let them go and let them do their thing to grow the business. And um, in addition, finding the money for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So uh, it's really about building a talent pipeline. Um, and this is something that just like the MBA program, it's, it's a long process. It's on general, I think I read a statistic somewhere. It takes like six months on average for companies to find like good talent to fill a role, uh, which is a long time. And, and I would agree with that statistic. <laughs> um, so it's, it's about, it's not just once you find the talent, you're one and done. It's about continuing that search is an ongoing process. Um, but during that search process as you're recruiting, you're figuring out as you go, what are the best places to find talent that I, um, and you want to reduce your search timeline essentially from six months to as compact as you can get it. So you want to one, find the best places to find talent for the industry that you're in. Um, and two, you want to come up with an interview process that matches your true needs for your company. So finding that alignment is key. So I literally sat down and wrote my job description, not just like, oh, this sounds good, but really like thinking about myself in my new job. What would I need from this person um, when I have my time you know, taken away by something else? What do I really need this person to do to manage the business? Um, and so taking time to do a proper job description is really important. Uh, one of the things one of my advisors mentioned to me is you have to actually spend quite a bit of time on the benefits. Like what are they going to get out of it? Not just what you need, <laughs> but what do, what are they going to, what are they going to get out of it? Um, and so when it put, when I put that together, I ended up getting more, um, uh, candidates applying to those positions than when I just put like, this is what I need. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to, to mention what they're going to get out of it. Um, and then, so let's, you've done the job description, you found the sites you're going to get the talent from that you, you feel it has top talent. Um, you have your interview process down where you're asking the right questions, like, and not just the right questions, but the hard questions and putting people through scenario situations, I believe is really important in these interviews. So asking like, if I, uh, for some reason, if you didn't hear from me in two weeks, like what, what would you do? Or if, if there was a problem and I wasn't able to help, how would you solve that problem? Like putting them in those situations to see how they would respond and react really helps to bat out your talent to see who's capable to be work independently and doesn't need to rely on you constantly if they're able to think through a problem or people who don't. Um, and so that's really one of the key things that I look for. Uh, so I know that once I have them on the team, I have that confidence that I can delegate out to them. Do you focus more on the high level positions that you want to fill or do you start with the, the VAs and like the, the tasks that oh get off your plate? Like where, where do you, where do you recommend and where have you started if that's different? 
Yeah, yeah. So I always start with the overarching business strategy, uh, meaning what are what are our strategic initiatives or our goals. Um, so one of it is one of them is to drive the technology forward in an innovative way to put out a product that's new and different and that customers are excited about. Um, and then another one is obviously to make money to drive revenue, <laughs> which our chief uh, business development officer is that's what he's he's doing right now. Um, so I start with the overarching uh, objective. Then from there, I delineate out what are the tasks required in order to achieve that goal, the tasks, the processes, what do what uh, what do they need to do to get that goal done? And then from there, I once I have those lists of tasks, it's really it's all thinking. It's all about thinking at the task level. Um, then I look at what is it that I want to retain that I feel like I need my hands on that I need to do versus what do I just need to monitor or have a little bit of a hand in versus what can I just totally take off my plate and I just check in here and there. So breaking down into kind of those three categories helps me to determine what tasks are needed for the job and how I'm gonna manage that position. We were talking before about benefits and I'm curious, you know, hiring someone at a chief level of CDO, that's gonna be a pretty, pretty nice compensation package. So for people who are bootstrapping or feel like they can't find that kind of money, but they want to bring somebody on, do you have any tips for like employee perks, benefits? Like how, how do you feel people can entice someone to come into their startup and help them, but they can't do six figures or something like that right off the bat? That's a great question. So first of all, as a startup, you're nine times out of 10, if you're self-funding, you're not going to be able to afford that six-figure salary, which means you're not going to be able to get someone for 40 hours a week. Um, but think about what you can do. If you can get someone for 20 hours, if you can get someone for 10 hours, if you can get someone for five hours in a week, uh, just think about what you what you can do. Um, and so obviously all our positions right now, they're not full-time, they're part-time because we are still currently self-funded. Um, so that's one way to do it. But then uh, the, the next question that you posed was, how, do you, how are you going to even afford those five hours? <laughs> um, so there's, there's a couple of ways to do it. So the roles, when I put together roles, when I first start a company, they're all advisor roles, mm. which means I'm just going to have a little bit of their time every week as I need it. Um, and so the contracts that we write are are, I guess, a little bit of vague in that manner, um, the as needed basis. So what I do is I'll typically set, say, an hourly rate. There's two, there's two ways to write a contract. You can either set an hourly rate um, and then use them as needed with maybe uh, giving them an expectation of average time needed a week. Or um, what one of my advisors has recommended to me is do it on a deliverable basis, pay them on a deliverable basis, which especially if it's like a technical startup, it's really important because there's a lot of people out there that will just rack up hours and then they won't deliver what you wanted or they 
just won't deliver. <laughs> and so at least having a deliverable based contract guarantees you that they'll get that work done because it incentivizes them. If they get the work done, then they'll get paid. Um, so that's really key as well. Have you focused mostly on finding people uh, locally to you or have you gone out and have just virtual advisors? That's a really interesting question. That has evolved for me in even, even fairly recently. Um, so initially when I started, it was uh, both my businesses, I started local. I think a lot of us start local cause we feel comfortable with that. Like sure. yeah. people get you like, Oh, you're from Los Angeles. I'm from Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> so, but then I realized very quickly that was so limiting. Mm. Um, you only have so much talent. I mean, even in a, in a huge business hub like Los Angeles, there's still like, it's hard to find talent all, all everything. How is it possible that you can find all of your talent in one place? Like Los Angeles wasn't set up for your business. You need to set up your business for Los Angeles. It's really the other way around. Um, but we live in such a cool time right now where I've been able to just have uh, Google Hangouts and Zooms with people from everywhere from um, India to Pakistan to um, places in Europe, uh, Bulgaria, it's all over the place. And I realized that to have a talent strategy is to really go global because one, it feeds that need for diversity, which today is just, we're more aware of it than ever. Why do we want diversity? It helps feed um, the innovations and thoughts that go into building your product and that go into talking to your customers. And now that the world is so much more aware of how important that is, you really need to make sure you have that diverse team. And so automatically looking on a global level will help you to do that. And it's, they did a study that says if you have a, they said that having a diverse team increases significantly the uh, performance improvement of your team uh, when they're diverse. Hmm. That makes sense. Especially the, like you're repealing on a global level. So you might, it, it's in your interest to have a global staff of experiences and backgrounds and cultures. Um, the, it's so fascinating. And I, I would love to talk more about this, but I know we're getting towards the end. So in addition to this company you're building and this consultancy, you also have a podcast. Yes. <laughs> I want to talk about it. Yeah. So the podcast, why well, it started before all of this. And the reason why I started a podcast is, so the, the launch is the name of, is the name of the company and the podcast. And the reason why I started it initially way back when it was just to have a way to continue to stay engaged with my network I used to go to all these conferences and meet all these cool people but then how do you scalably stay connected with them and I was like well I can't reach out every single one by email like once a month that's just not gonna happen it's it's way too I wouldn't have a job that would be my job <laughs> so I wanted a way to scalably provide value and stay connected to the people who are important to me in my network so uh, creating a content pipeline or a content funnel 
um, essentially if you start a blog or any kind of way to publish content, that's a really great way to stay connected with your network. And it started out with like a personal brand as a personal branding strategy. It was a process of, as I was writing these articles, figuring out what's important to me that I want to talk about, but that I want to share with my audience, with my network. And so the podcast I found was a really great way to do that because you essentially get to connect with so many cool people that normally you would never get to meet. Like before the podcast, I wasn't talking to C-level suite executives. I wasn't talking to other entrepreneurs, but having the podcast and doing the interview format forces you to do that. And it's, it's more organic than just reaching out and like, to, like asking someone, Hey, I need something like it, no one wants to work with someone who just always wants something from you. But with a podcast, there's a lot of uh, mutual benefits that happen. You're learning from each other. You're having a great organic conversation and then the rest of the world can hear it and learn from it. Um, and so you're providing value together for the world as well. So that's kind of how we got started. That is so cool. And I, I love I was just thinking when you were saying like I meet all these people at conferences and I'm the same way and I just feel like I can't be one of those old timey women and at the 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 desk just like hello Rebecca hope you're well with your family and you're just like I have a business to run too I want to be connected to you but yeah yeah. (laughs) you always want to go deeper than a high level like hi how are you hope your family is well (laughs) (laughs) well where can my listeners find out more about you. Uh, yeah. So I, what I can do is I can share my uh, LinkedIn address with you. Um, people can find me on LinkedIn. It's, uh, oh, I have to look it up actually. <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> I don't know my LinkedIn by heart. <laughs> Maybe I should though. Uh, um, but yeah, LinkedIn would be the best, the best place to find me and connect with me. But people can also reach out to me on launchitspot.com, which is my website, um, just to chat about anything or if you're interested in AI solutions or integrating AI into your business. It's like a thing right now, if, if you haven't heard yet. <laughs> um, and then in terms of my LinkedIn, it's gonna be linkedin.com slash I-N slash Rebecca Bennett PMP. PMP stands for Project Management Professional. Perfect. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I really appreciate you coming on. Of course. Thanks, Megan. It was a pleasure. (laughs) Hey, guys, one more thing before you go. Could you do me a favor and leave a review of this episode? It would help me out so much and get the word out to other people. If you could just drop a review, I would really appreciate it.